Well, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the MarTalks podcast. I'm Daryl Rosenstein, your host, where we discuss MarTech trends and e-commerce trends in the industry. Today, our, we're joined by Jor Farquhar, the VP of Engineering for Pivotry, who will be discussing the transition from legacy technologies in the commerce realm to the new API-first technologies. And, you know, I think I want to launch right into the delivery end. You, uh, you're, it, 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 it's your butt on the line, whether a client goes live or not. So right. obviously, as uh, Pivotry is evaluating partners and vendors, uh, they're coming to you first to make that call as to whether or not they should engage. You know, is this a good, is this a viable partner for us? So you're, who is it that you're usually engaging with at that vendor uh, to first talk about their solution? A lot of this stuff starts with partner managers and, and as you, as you're well aware, right? Uh, relationships, you know, I've been doing e-commerce for, you know, 20, 20 some years. So you, you start to, you start to garner relationships in the e-commerce business. And we tend to see people move around between the, the, the major suppliers of both platforms. And um, so a lot of it's partnerships through direct sales channels and, and the partner managers. Um, mm-hmm. But we do, especially on my side, because I'm, I'm VP of engineering and I own the architecture team as well. So we, we spend a lot of time looking at the, the platform markets. Um, and I know some of them don't want to call themselves platforms anymore, but at the end of the day, we still view them as platforms, right? Um, so we, we spend a lot of time analyzing the market, you know, looking at what the analysts are saying um, and trying to understand, you know, what a best indicator for us is what our customers are looking at. Some of our customers are pretty savvy, especially in the B2C space. And it's, we use those sort of indicators to say like, where, where should we place our bets on, on uh, with who's going to be successful. Right. And, and it changes over time, which I'm sure you, you've been doing this a long time. It changes over time, right. The winners of today, you know, were struggling a few years ago and, and vice versa, right. You look at the Shopify store, it's incredibly uh, amazing and, and scary at the same time. Well, I mean, you, you talk to a very salient point there in terms of the long-term relationships. Obviously, they play a key part. You know, you know people and they tend to, you know, the folks that have a passion for e-commerce tend to stay in e-commerce and tend to gravitate towards those those technologies that, that have more promise and that, that are more valuable. Uh, one hopes, obviously, yeah. and you, you gravitate toward them first and foremost. But obviously, at some point, you're having to engage with the founders of these firms and and have them uh, essentially give you their pitch for why their product is uh, the be all and end all for not just platform, but obviously we were talking about CMS, loyalty, payments. What is it uh, that you, you talked with them about? Yeah, and it can be tough sometimes too, right? Like because, you know, you know, the, the core functionality of any e-commerce platform or CMS generally tends to be the same, right? Like mm-hmm. the core. And, and so understanding the differentiators can be tough. Often what, you know, often we're talking, you know, at some point, depending on the size of the firm, we are talking to the founder level, like definitely with VTEX. I mean, their founders are heavily engaged in the success mm-hmm. of that product and, mm-hmm. and are very passionate about where they're taking the product and what, and what they see as the future of, e-commerce. Um, 
other larger firms, you know, when you're talking to the SAPs and Oracles, it's a lot, a lot tougher to get closer to the founders. So you're really relying on the partner managers, the enablement managers, the, uh, you know, um, because a lot of the factors that we look at, we look at, you know, when we're, especially when we're going to adopt a new platform, like we're low, you know, we, we spend a lot of time looking at Spriker and, and as they're coming into the North America, Amer American market, we look at, you know, their success abroad, how successful were they? Um, and then we talk, we start to talk to their, um, you know, their senior leadership and understand what their vision is and how they, you know, how they feel they'll differentiate on themselves. And, and if they have, if they have the same values and are aligned with what, what we feel, you know, you know, we feel the market is going, then that's kind of, you know, when we engage, um, yeah, you know, the, types of questions we're asking a lot of time is how, how are they going to differentiate themselves, right? Like, how are they going to be different? You know, e-commerce isn't just shopping cart anymore. So like, what is going to make you different um, than, you know, you know, so, some of them, like I would challenge, I challenge VTEX a lot. Like what is going to make you different than at the time I thought comparable would be demandware. If you're going after the B2C or Salesforce, right? If you're going after the B2C market, you know, how are you going to differentiate yourself from Salesforce and at the enterprise level or the, or the mid-market and up level? And how are you going to differentiate yourself from Shopify from the mid-market down, right? Like, because you're going into a space that's going to be tough to penetrate. Um, Spryker, what makes, what's interesting about Spryker, right, is they're really not going to try, at least from what I've seen and talked to them, they're not going to try to go head to head with Commerce Tools, right? Because they know Commerce Tools is having a lot of success in the B2C market when it comes to mock. Um, and they're going to, you know, they're really going to target the B2B um, space and, and try to differentiate themselves that way. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of, a lot of different people in those organizations that we try to get to and, and, and figure out different signals that, uh, to, that help us decide whether it's something we want to A, invest in um, and, you know, enable our folks and hire um, and whether it's something we really want to go in front of some of our customers with um, and say that, hey, this is a viable solution for you. You know, you, you, you talk about obviously vision is is going to be key for any emerging technology in particular, because they just don't have as many client references. You you're talking to the clients about what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And yeah, today's. Uh, chief digital officers are incredibly savvy, incredibly connected. Uh, they talk, uh, I mean, uh, every forum that I've been to, particularly Shop Talk, I'm amazed at the the level of sophistication they have in terms of really slicing and dicing each individual module and saying, well, what was what was the lift? Was there lift? And they they're going to they're going to run the numbers. So uh, you also talked a bit about um, the values and the culture because you, you want to do part you, you want to partner with companies that have the same uh you know core ethos as yours uh that being delivering value the way you deliver value which is your differentiator obviously yes. as an agency um but i'm curious about an emerging vendor that you haven't engaged with prior uh what do they need to essentially give you um, beyond vision and uh, differentiation to get you to even begin to, the discussion with them about working with them as a partner. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And part of it is, and you, and you spoke to it a little bit, can, how high, how high can you engage, right? Um, some of the bigger guys, it's harder to engage at higher levels and understand, even get a full definition of that vision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how much are they willing to invest in new partners? Um, you know, if you, you know, the barrier, like for now, if somebody was going to try to become a Salesforce commerce partner, and you had no experience in the past, your ability to do so is nil, right? It's impossible. Yeah. It, um, and if you try, you would be crazy because they've monetized their enablement. Um, you know, there's the competition obviously is huge, but, but having a partner that is willing to invest in you in enablement and help you get to where you want to be, because it's, it's not cheap. You know, it's not cheap for me and the engineering to go and hire, you know, five, 10, 15 people, get them trained or cross-trained people, um, you know, getting that first deal. Um, do you have a sales team at that partner that's willing to work with you to help you get that first deal? Um, because that first deal is the toughest, right? Like on a new platform, because <laughs> you got to go out and customer and they're going to ask you, how many of you have done of these before? And oh, uh, the answer is zero. Um, and why should we trust you? Right. Oh, well, you can go into your experience and everything else you did, but, you know, these solutions are still, you know, reasonably complex, right? Especially in the enterprise space where we play, um, you got customers that are trying to do difficult things and, and they want a partner that's, um, that ideally has experience. So those are big ones that we look at. How engaged is this sales channel to help us? How in, in the enablement side, how willing are they to, to help us, you know, cost effectively? Um, for us, because we're not a, we're not Deloitte, right? So we don't have unlimited resources to train hundreds of people. But um, and yeah, just the the types of relate, you know, the types of conversations that you're having with them. If if you feel like there's good alignment, I've worked with I've you know I've worked with other uh, platform vendors in the past where they they didn't care about the SI necessarily or the agency right? They were more focused on the license sale, mm-hmm. get the license sale done. And if the SI, you know, loses a, you know, a ton of money, I don't care. I got my license sale. Um, that's not a, you, you typically, that's not both the type of partnerships you want, right? You don't want the sales guy selling you under the bus. And, and then you're like, well, this was not a great partnership. So we really, we, you know, we've been doing this a long time. So we kind of can recognize, you know, when, when, when we have a good willing uh, platform partner um, and vice versa, we want to be, a, we want to be a good partner to them too, right? We're not, we're not used to that. We're no use to them if we're not actively out there trying to sell their platform as well or, or bring them deals. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, again, uh, a tremendous point that you, you need to enable your, your agency partner. You need to provide them the resources to train and skill uh, their engineering team. You need to have a sales organization that is working in lockstep with the agency's sales organization, so that you're you're speaking with one voice to the client, so that your your materials mimic theirs, and doing the same from a marketing perspective as well to create awareness, so that you're as the vendor, you are helping that agency uh, brand with you. It's a it's a co it's much more of a co branding, and that seems as you mentioned, you know, quite different from the legacy, uh, just get the license deal done 
methodology of the the old school monoliths who it's like hey we just got a deal signed and we're telling five partners about it and you know you all fight over it and see who ends up getting the actual go live yeah we have we have an interesting history right because we started doing atg when AT, well i started doing atg before atg was even, from the past and even even an e-commerce platform they didn't even release the e-commerce product when i started working with it right and no. then they did it and that's no. how kind of we got into commerce when they released the con so we had a great relationship with atg obviously mm -hmm. when oracle came in and bought it that relationship changes significantly mm -hmm. and we did the same with hybris and had a great relationship with hybris then sap comes in and it changes you know not, not that it's bad it just changes how you how you behave how how they're going to behave absolutely right and and so it's sometimes it's refreshing to be working with some of these more upstart um you know and and the, the ones that are aggressive you know they're they're hungry and they're aggressive and and they want partners, especially in North America, right? Because the North American market is untapped for some of these, you know, um, platforms that are coming from, you know, Australia and, and other parts of Europe. So it's, uh, yeah. And the U.S. I mean, I'm I'm amazed. I, I look at uh, the progress that uh, some of the some of our native solutions have made uh, just over the last year, and it's it's spectacular. But you know, you throw a billion dollars into the headless e-commerce market uh, yeah. in the last uh, twelve months, and things are going to percolate. Uh, well, I, I guess the other thing that I was curious about is, um, you know, when you're in the agency position today in microservices you're often asked by the client now to obviously manage multiple go lives and be the ringleader and how has that changed your relationship with the client uh in uh in that regard versus the monoliths where it was just essentially stand this up uh yeah, I mean, in the world I live in, I think there's still there's still a lot of that legacy behavior that exists despite them moving to new architectures, to mm -hmm. be honest with you. Some of them haven't fully adopted, you know, the full benefit of being able to manage um, and launch multiple, um, you know, uh, go lives. I think the biggest one we do see is we nowadays we tend to see that people are you know, our customers are pushing front end changes out often, right? Mm. That, can be daily, that can be daily, you know, or, or every other day, mm. whereas the services themselves, um, you know, that are backing some of that stuff are being deployed significantly less often, you know, uh, you know, in the monolith world. So you have, you know, your front end is being deployed rapidly, your back end is has actually scaled way down to where you're only deploying, you know, some of those services once a month um, or less because they don't, they don't change, right? Your shopping cart behavior doesn't change that much in mm -hmm. time, right? So, but we, we do see customers, you know, and, and partially because of legacy IT departments, like they, they still can't wrap their head around being, adopting the agility of it all. So um, there's some maturity um, coming some of our bigger, larger customers have really, you know, they're really aggressively, you know, you know, executing some of this. Um, and some of our less mature customers are still, you know, even though they have this amazing architecture, they still operate. Well, we're going to do monthly releases and we're going to release the whole thing. <laughs> All right. 
but you know, so it's, I like, you know, right. There's so many in, in this space, the level of maturity um, between organizations can be very, very large. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you separate B2B, like in, like you were talking, like, you know, chief digital officers, that was a term I didn't hear very often five or six years ago, but now almost every major retailer that I work with has a chief digital officer mm-hmm. or somebody that's playing that role, right? Less so in the B2B space, right? We still mm-hmm. have the B2B, you know, the level of maturity on B2B is still, we're still dealing with some customers that are, you know, new to all of this e-commerce in general, right? So trying to explain, you know, and, and we are driving them towards more modern architectures and because it makes sense, um, but they don't fully understand it yet. Um, so it's, yeah, it's changing, changing how we work. Well, I mean, I think that's wonderful from the standpoint that you get to be uh, the change agents now and and drive far more of that discussion with the client about their future and plan as a partner with them versus just reacting to a need that they have to upgrade their commerce platform to overcome some well the lack of one is obviously one we're we're past that we're now trying to to develop a far more experience oriented platform environment for b2c and b2b and for that matter, you know, I do see more B2B organizations with the title chief sales officer cropping up. Yeah, they're, they're, they're putting somebody in charge because there's there's going to be a, a significant amount of uh, implementation and purchase activity driven by that. But it's not the CIO anymore, right? Like if I go back, if I go back 10 years, it was almost, these were almost always IT driven projects. It was a technology choice and uh, the platform was a technology choice. We're dealing with the CIO and the, and the IT, IT department. Now, very rarely are we're, we're dealing with the IT department and the CIO. They have a voice, but they're not, they're not driving the charge anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I had uh, a great webinar uh, a few weeks back, and one of our guests was Patrick Friday, the CEO of View Storefront, one of the most popular, obviously, composable right, yeah. front-end solutions on the market. Yeah. And, um, you know, he made a comment that I, I uh, took to heart that the developers out there love the new, new technologies because they're so much more flexible. So they're behind the scenes pushing that ball forward for you as well internally. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious about when you're talking to uh, vendors that are in the API first realm, uh, what you mentioned enablement as being something they really need to focus on. How many of them really are grasping that, hey, we're, we're going to help you um, essentially spread the word amongst the development community so that uh, there's a pipeline of talent because, you know, talent is as scarce as hen's teeth in the uh, engineering ranks. And you yeah. need to hire those people. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter what skill you're looking for right now. It's pretty in pretty short supply. Um, mm-hmm. um, the, some platform some, or some, some of the vendors are doing it better than others, right? Like that are really focused on enablement and, and um, but at the end of the day, for a, for an organization like me, for like mine, it's it's my role to make sure that we have the people that can deliver the work that our customers want. So if those if those platforms deliver the success and the vision that they're hoping for, I want to be well positioned to to uh, 
execute. What we found, what we found historically is the platforms tend to take off um, in popularity before, um, before they're ready to enable um, the number of people that they need. Uh, you know, and that, that's been true even back to the ATG days, the Hybris days, like Hybris took off like crazy, right? And there was a mass shortage of Hybris developers. We're starting mm-hmm. to see, we're seeing that now in, in mock type technologies or just pure microservice technologies, right? The number of people that know how to build native cloud applications properly, um, how to build API first based applications uh, properly um, and avoid anti-patterns that are, are well-known anti-patterns uh, is they're in short supply. So um, we're investing heavily in that. Um, and uh, cause we do believe it's, it's where, you know, where this market's going, but not just e-commerce, just, general software engineering that's where it's trending right well you know as i shared with you earlier it was actually uh one of my contacts in the analyst community that that steered me to pivotry is doing just outstanding work with the the headless technologies and uh you know if you would what do you think pivotry is doing that's uh different and better well, some of it's right place, right time, right? One of us, is, I mean, we have a long history in e-commerce, so that helps, right? We have a lot of experience working with a lot of different types of organizations. Um, we also, you know, one of, our, one of our legacy businesses is we do still have a ton of customers running the ATG, um, the old ATG or Oracle Commerce platform, and they need, all those customers need somewhere to go. As you know, the product, the product is dead um, or virtually dead, right? Or been replaced, let's say. Um, but it's still a very popular platform, especially in very large B2C um, retailers. Some of the largest B2C retailers are still running that legacy platform, right? So one of us is, you know, how do we help those customers find a proper destination? Um, and in a lot of those cases right now, especially with the evolution and how those cu- how those customers have been investing is, they're moving towards API first mock type technologies, normally because they're so large and a, and a wholesale replacement of that platform is not realistic for them, right? Like, like a smaller retailer can do a wholesale, you know, we'll go to Salesforce. It'll take us six months off one platform onto the next, you know, large, a massive retailer doing one, $2 billion a year of revenue can't do that. Right. It's just too disruptive. So there, a lot of them are using the strangler pattern, right? Let's, okay, let's pull customers off. Let's pull pricing off. Let's pull inventory off and, and segregate some of these services out, um, either leveraging, you know, existing platforms or in a lot of cases where we're involved as well is, um, you know, building custom services for them, custom microservices, cloud native services. Um, I think, you know, just having that experience is where and, and, and we've always excelled in technology complex environments. That's kind of always been where we've excelled. We've always had very large enterprise customers. And, you know, these are, these are you know, these going headless and, and adopting mock is, is not without complexity. You know, with complexity, you gain agility, which is why our customers are driving towards it. But we can't fool ourselves into thinking that what we ultimately are going to deploy is, is significantly more complex than a monolith, right? Like a monolith is a single thing that we're going to deploy. It's reasonably easy to, 
reasonably easy to deploy, you know, reasonably easy to, um, I would say, figure out your total cost of ownership or your costs. Um, one, one of the biggest challenges that we've seen with our customers as they're making this shift is trying to, trying to really wrap their heads around the costs and calculate it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we've come in and tried to really help our customers is understanding the costing model, what's, what's the long-term implications of um, technology implications. And yeah, and, and the other thing that we do, you know, we do more than commerce, which is really positioned as well. Like we, we have a large data practice that focuses on MDM and master data our MDM master data management, especially PIM when it comes to commerce, right? So as, as we're growing with some of our customers, some of our customers' biggest challenge is just the quality of the data that they have. Um, so we have a group that really focuses on working with our, our, our customers on how to improve that data, how to expose that data better within the organization. And then we also focus now on supply chain and fulfillment. So, you know, if I went back early years of e-com and even the most of the platforms operate this, right? You take the order and then you throw it to somewhere else and say, okay, now it's your problem, right? We're now in the business of, no, it's not, we're not going to throw it over the fence anymore. We're going to, well, we'll throw it over the fence, but we'll throw it back to ourselves and, and, and pick up the order and really focus on that end-to-end -end experience all the way from, you know, the order placement all the way through, you know, the order delivery and then returns, exchanges, all that. So that end-to-end -end experience is really where Pivotry is focused and trying to make that whole experience frictionless, right? How do we, that's a term you hear a lot, but it's a term we use a lot, but really just how do we, how do we make that buying experience end-to-end -end, uh, better for our customers so that our customers can compete with, you know, with Amazon and some of the, and, and, you know, some of the other larger players that are producing marketplaces and stuff like that. So. Well, that's quite a combination, you know, the uh, giving them the benefit of your decades of experience in e-commerce and giving them a roadmap for where they could be helping them figure out which uh, microservices are going to accommodate that and uh, giving them an idea of uh, the relative cost and the total cost of ownership and then also assisting them with their data and their PIM and then giving them uh, a, a, the order management capability and fulfillment knowledge. That's outstanding. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. I know your day is packed. I know you're probably wearing five hats. Thank yeah. you for taking them off for us. And, uh, I hope you uh, have a wonderful rest of your week. All right. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the time and the discussion. Outstanding. Thanks for listening to Mar Talks. Please leave a review and a rating on your platform of choice. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. To find out more about how the Rosenstein Group can help you find the right leaders for your client development teams in MarTech and e-commerce, please visit our website, rosensteingroup.com.